Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of The Charting Room, a podcast where today's hot topics meets mental health conversations. This is Kivon here with a reminder that the views expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests. This podcast is meant to be informative and entertaining and is not a substitute for one-on-one medical or mental health care of any nature, nor the suggestion of any diagnosis or treatment. Remember that only a licensed provider can evaluate your situation, provide a diagnosis, or render other medical and mental health advice to you. Now, let's dig in. Welcome to the charting room. Welcome to another episode of The Charting Room. This week we are joined by a beautiful guest who is going to share her story um, of grief after losing um, her daughter to suicide. Um, And so while we want our listeners to listen in and engage, I also want to give a trigger warning um, because I want to we want to recognize that for some this might be a challenging topic to listen to. If you find that you listen to it um, and you have some difficulty after listening to it, we will post links at the bottom of our podcast description as always. Um, but always feel free to reach out. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, reach out to a spiritual leader, reach out to a therapist. What's good? It's your girl, Kivon, and I am a licensed clinical social worker. It's Anthony Andrews here, licensed professional counselor. This is Dr. Sheree Watkins, your licensed professional counselor. Dr. Phil Murray, certified in adult and child psychiatry. And we are your charting room co-hosts. We're back. We're back. We're back again after you listen to our podcast. Please, y'all, I'm begging you. Please go tell a friend. <laughs> what do I got to do? So tonight by a wonderful guest. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. First ever. Right. Hey. Breaking it in. So yes. let me introduce um, a wonderful woman who I had the privilege of meeting about two years ago, Pastor Kendra Butler. Of um, She is the co-pastor of World Worship Church, and she co-pastors the church with her husband. And she is here with us tonight to talk about a very critical topic that we've been seeing a lot in, unfortunately, in our news. We're going to talk about adolescent, what children in adolescent suicide, and she's going to tell her story of her daughter, Jocelyn. So we'll give her a few moments to introduce herself and anything that she would like to share, and then we're going to jump right into the podcast. Good evening, everybody. This is Pastor Kendra joining you tonight. Um, I want to say thanks to the group for having me tonight. I'm excited to be here. Uh, One of the things that I knew immediately when my daughter passed away was I wanted to share. I needed people to be aware of what happened, and I did not want her death to be in vain. So thank you for having me tonight. Thank you. you. I'm a charlatan, not born and raised, but raised. Mm -hmm. 
my claim to fame is West Charlotte High School. Yes. <laughs> yes. Graduated in 94, uh, went right into cosmetology school. I knew right away that was my path. Mm-hmm. I was going to go to cosmetology school, then go to college. I was supposed to be headed to A&T, North Carolina Aggie State Pride. University. Aggie Pride. <laughs> Didn't make it. Um, got into cosmetology school, graduated, got my license, was taking some classes at Central Piedmont, just trying to, you know, get some classes under my belt. And before I transferred over, I met my husband, fell in love, got married, and he was finishing up at JCSU, Johnson C. Smith University. Shout out to all of my HBCUs. Hey. Come on now. But um, <laughs> he was not willing to move to Greensboro. So that meant I had to finish school here in Charlotte. And okay. um, But so we got married, had children. We're 21 years in. Yes. Um, Come on, black love. Did 20 years um, in the field as a hairstylist um, professionally. Pulled away in 2016 after... Mm-hmm. Well, about a year after my daughter's death, and mm. and now we're pastoring. So wow. that's that's awesome. my journey. Wow. So, so to kick us off, I want to give you all some updated data on where we are in the field um, in relation to child and adolescent suicide. When we look at the current stats from just 2017, suicide was the tenth leading cause of death overall in the U.S. But when you look at the age group of 10 to 24, it is the second leading cause of death among individuals in this age group. And so what we know is that there has been a higher prevalence of the loss of our children, and even more so with those um, between the ages of 8 and 10 who are African American, Mm -hmm. those rates actually double two times over. Wow. So when we look at our statistics, we see that social media has played a part. We know that Mm -hmm. bullying and cyberbullying is playing a part. And we're going to come back to some of those topics, too, later on. But we want to start off by just, um, Pastor Kendra, start off by telling us her story. Um, her story of how you lost Jocelyn and what has that process been like for you? Yeah. So Jocelyn passed away in June um, of 2015. Um, She died on June 19th. Um, Her death was ruled suicide Mm -hmm. by the investigating officers. Uh, We were called. I was at work at the time. I was a hairstylist. It was a Friday evening, so that's a busy day. Mm-hmm. So I got a, a phone call late that evening that I needed to hurry up and get home. The first conversation I had was with my husband who said, you know, she tried to commit suicide. So in my mind, I'm thinking everything is okay. We need mm-hmm. to hurry up and get home to see, mm-hmm. you know, what played out. As I'm heading home, I'm speaking with one of the officers in my home who keeps asking me all these questions about her mm-hmm. to only learn that she was deceased. Um, oh, wow. So we get home. They do their investigation. They follow up with us later to let us know basically they were ruling her death as suicide, which made absolutely no sense right. to me. It didn't make any sense to anyone in our family because we didn't recognize what would be considered the signs. Yeah. So in in our mind, this had to be something else because this just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and especially not to us, you right. know. So we 
it was it was tough. It was a tough situation. We heard the account that our children gave. Mm-hmm. Um, we I kept going over and over. Well, well, what was she like during that day? What was going on that day? What happened? You know, because I needed something that was going to make this make sense. Right. Um, they. They stayed for a while investigating. They took a lot of things from her room, mostly just a journal. They took a lot of pictures all over the house. I think that was probably one of the hard things is, A, you're called home immediately mm-hmm. by the law enforcement. You get home. Your house looks like what can only be described as what you see in the television shows. Yeah. You know, there's there's yellow tape everywhere. There's emergency vehicles everywhere. And it just was not, this isn't normal life mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, neighbors have started to form gatherings outside, mm-hmm. you know, and so mm-hmm. you, you get home and it's like, what is this? And then they're just walking around your home, just combing through your life, yeah. wow. um, investigating, trying to figure out what happened to this individual. Mm-hmm. Um, was this homicide suicide right. like what happened because she's a young person who's been found dead in a home I, you know they're just doing their job right. they have an investigation right. to do and so now you know everybody it is a lot and everybody kind of becomes not kind of you you become a suspect until they rule differently <sighs> and so um they felt like they had enough information to to rule her death suicide and so now you're plagued with how? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was excited about a job that she had just gotten. She had just gotten hired on with Chick-fil-A near our home. And so she was excited about working this job. She had plans mm-hmm. for her life. There were things that we had talked about that she was going to do. And so for them to tell me, not only is your daughter gone, mm-hmm. but that she took her life. Right. That was hard. Yeah. That, yeah. that was a hard thing to, to swallow. And so the months after that were difficult, just trying to piece together that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the things that immediately came up for us, well, this might sound a little special to some people. And I can only tell you the truth about what happened. Yes, share your truth. Uh, The day after my daughter died, Mm -hmm. I was getting prepared to receive guests. A lot of people were beginning to call. Calls were going out. People Mm -hmm. knew what happened, and people were coming by the house. So I was in my restroom, my bathroom, um, and I was getting ready to shower and get dressed for the day. Mm -hmm. And I found myself just staring into the mirror at my reflection and asking myself the question, how did we get here? Mm. And as I was staring at my image reflected back at me, my daughter's image appeared in that image. And so looking in the mirror, my, my gaze stayed fixed on the mirror, though. She's behind me, my left shoulder. And she placed her hand on my shoulder and she said, Mom, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Mm. Wow. And then she was gone. Mm. And then I fell apart. Mm. Um, because mm. I'm still trying to figure out how how are we here? Mm. Like, she's dead. And the assumption is she did this to herself. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that was tough. Um, 
we began hearing a lot about something that was going on at the time with adolescent youth called the choking game mm-hmm. or the pass out game. Mm-hmm. And so based on how she was found, it became a working theory for us anyway that maybe this is what this was. Maybe mm-hmm. she was trying to get high and she was doing it closed off somewhere away from her siblings and she got into trouble and just couldn't come back from it and Mm-hmm. You know, maybe this was an accidental thing. Maybe this was not her intention to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that became our family's way of processing mm-hmm. and dealing and dealing with her death. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a parent, dealing with, A, just your child dying mm-hmm. is difficult. Mm-hmm. But then to have to deal with the fact that this was suicide, um, you know, the authorities ruling it a suicide. There are a lot of things that go through your mind as a parent that um, you you begin to look at. What did you miss? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was my child unhappy and I didn't know it? Mm-hmm. We, there were just a lot of things that plagued me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and grief is difficult, I think, Mm -hmm. for anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then to be the parent, the caregiver, the provider for someone who takes their life, it it just adds another layer of difficulty to dealing with that process. Mm -hmm. When looking at um, the rumors and also the time frame of understanding that the choking game or the pass out game was going around, um, what was it like to hear that part along with getting the revelation from Jocelyn that she was sorry it wasn't supposed to happen? Um, comforting to a degree. <laughs> but it, it still made me angry um, because why? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the question of why still comes into play. Why, why would you do this? I, I was even angry with how easy it was to find the information mm-hmm. on the internet mm-hmm. of how to do this. Mm-hmm. Different mm-hmm. videos on YouTube about how this works. Mm-hmm. And it infuriated me because it's not a game. Right. It, it's not a game. And, you know, people lose their lives. And unfortunately, I, I remember asking one of the detectives, I called them because I had questions. Right. <laughs> they had already left my house that Friday evening, but I called them back a few days later. And that was one of my questions. Why aren't you considering this? And their answer and their response was that typically children do this in a group. Mm-hmm. They don't typically do it alone. And, you know, they felt like they had sufficient evidence to support that this was something that she had done to herself intentionally. So mm. I couldn't argue with them. I wasn't going to. And then, of course, one of the officers was just looking at me as if to say, ma'am, if this isn't this, then the possibility is that it was done to her. And then, you know, we have to. So mm. you felt that layer. I, I don't know that he was trying to intentionally threaten me, but I felt threatened in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, you know, what? OK, fine. Just whatever, whatever mm-hmm. you think is fine. Mm-hmm. I have to walk by something because I know my daughter. At least I think I know my daughter. Right. And then those are the questions that come up. Did I really know mm-hmm. what was going on with my child? Did, do, do I really know her? Did I really know her? And so those are just things that become difficult to deal with. Yeah. 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 At what point did they decide that it wasn't like, that wasn't like, it was the 
like suicide because I know you know sometimes it can be insensitive to think that someone is a suspect when somebody's trying to grieve and do this themselves Mm -hmm. and I know when they finally I guess found the evidence that it wasn't a homicide but yet suicide I mean what did they come back and I know they probably didn't apologize I think no I think right away I think right away they had an inclination that this was Mm self-inflicted because of how she was found, because of where she was found. My my son found her. Mm -hmm. She was Mm -hmm. in our closet. The door was closed, Mm -hmm. so he had to push his way into the room Mm -hmm. to get to her. And once he pushed his way in to get to her, yeah. He saw that things with her weren't right. And so mm-hmm. he called for his sisters. And, and, and so, but no, I don't, I think that's just part of their job. Yeah, yeah. They have to secure the area. Mm-hmm. They have to do mm-hmm. their investigation. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. but I think, I think right away they felt like they knew yeah. what it, yeah. what this was. Yeah. yeah. What has that grief process been like for your children? Oh, so that's an interesting question. <laughs> I'm a talker. Okay. Some of my children are not. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 it was different for each of them. So there is an organization here in Charlotte, North Carolina, called Kindermorn. Mm-hmm. And Kindermorn is a group where you can go and receive um, counseling for youth and adolescent who are grieving. And it doesn't matter who passed away. It could mm-hmm. be, oh, wow. you know, grandparent, parent, oh, wow. sibling best friend doesn't mm-hmm. matter if they're grieving and they need help dealing with that mm-hmm. kinder Morn is there for them that's beautiful they're also there for parents who've lost children mm-hmm. and so one of the things that they offer you can do individual counseling one-on-one with a therapist or mm-hmm. you can do group therapy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so my children opted for group therapy they did see an individual counselor one-on-one maybe once or twice mm-hmm. um no i think more than twice they they met with an individual counselor but once they started going to group, they appreciated the group mm-hmm. a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my daughters couldn't go because that particular night that group was offered, she had dance. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that became her outlet. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I did take her to see the counselor one-on-one, but was advised to stop bringing her mm-hmm. because she wasn't really opening up. Mm-hmm. And so the counselor basically said to me, in front of my daughter, oh, she's fine. I think she's good. We had a talk today. Mm-hmm. Everything seems okay. Mm-hmm. She she says that she knows she can come talk to you if she's bothered. Mm-hmm. She's got a few friends that she feels like she can confide in. I think she's okay. And so I could tell by her look that maybe we needed to have a private conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I sent my children to the car, and I, and I, I asked her, uh, is she really okay? I, I feel like... She hasn't really dealt with this. And she agreed that, no, she had not really dealt with this. But forcing her to come into a situation Mm -hmm. to deal with something that she wasn't ready to face Mm -hmm. would be more detrimental to her than it would be to help her. She wanted her to know that that was a safe space for For her. Mm -hmm. And if she needed it and when she needed it, it was there for her. It was available. Right. So we we did not force her to go anymore. And that was one of the things that I had to learn and, and grapple with is that... Though we are a family unit, 
everybody is dealing with this in their own individual, unique way. Right, mm-hmm. right, And right. whereas talking and talk therapy may work for me, mm-hmm. it's not going to work necessarily for my daughter, who yeah. it wasn't her thing. Um, maybe my husband, who, you know, I'm thinking, I want all of us to sit down and talk about this because, you know, and, and it, th- no, yeah. they didn't. They didn't need that at the time. Mm-hmm. They needed to kind of deal with their thoughts and their feelings on their own. Mm-hmm. And so I had to learn to give them the space yeah. and the grace to be able to grieve in a way that was healthy for them. For sure. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, the daughter that had um, you had that conversation with the therapist with, is that the dancer? Yes. So there has been a lot of research recently um, on the benefits of movement mm-hmm. and the to help with the process of releasing trapped emotions. Oh, wow. And so I'm wondering (laughs) if that dance process was therapy enough for her. I believe so. I mean, she said it was. And here's an interesting thing about her. So that year she was dancing. The following year she was running track. Ah. Uh, And her brother also began running track. Mm -hmm. And she did not run track the third year. Mm Mm-hmm. But she did go away to a camp. Mm -hmm. And while she was at camp, she began to open up to one of the Mm -hmm. counselors at the camp Mm -hmm. because she was not having that release as she had been prior. Mm -hmm. And she found herself needing to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. And so she did open up. And and the beautiful thing, I, I, I don't know... I feel like I can talk about Jesus, but the beautiful thing about what God does for us when we're in these spaces and places, when we're dealing with difficult things, he places people in our path that um, either have been there or have a level of understanding and compassion that can help us along our journey. Mm -hmm. So her counselor had also lost a sibling. Oh, wow. So she was able to relate to her in a way that no one else probably would have. And mm-hmm. taking it back to Kindermorn, that was the thing that was really helpful for my other son, well, my son and my other daughter. In their perspective groups, they were in separate groups because they age them based on, you know, age and grade mm-hmm. level. Um, there was a young girl in my daughter's group who lost a family member to suicide. Mm. So it made my daughter not feel the like shame. she was alone. Mm. Yeah. There was someone who understood yeah. exactly what she was dealing with and what she was going through. So that was very helpful for her. Wow. Very, very helpful. Wow. Yeah, and I, and I guess I hear you saying that, you know, you immediately kind of jumped into, you know, mom mode mm. and make yes. sure that your, your kids were um, being seen and treated yes. uh, by a therapist. I'm interested to know and knowing, you know, did you receive any um, therapeutic services yourself? I did. Okay. I ahead. did. It took mm-hmm. me a minute. Um, yeah. You know, you think you're going to go see a therapist. And what I, I, I think I was naive at the time. I felt like, you know, you go see a therapist, everything is going to be okay, and everything is going to be great from the start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Initially, I didn't connect with my therapist. Mm-hmm. And I found it difficult to open up yeah. and to talk to her. Mm-hmm. So within the same group, I asked for a different therapist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The second one was a little bit better, but I still found myself not really being able to relate. And I felt like, I felt like they were treating me with kid gloves mm-hmm. and that's not my personality. I'm more direct. I want you to deal with me in a more direct way. And so I didn't like the feeling of it being fluffy mm-hmm. and we got the mm-hmm. kid gloves on. I, I just wanted 
some real head on, we got to deal with this kind of because I'm kind of results oriented too. So I, I want to get past this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even if you have to tell me, well, you don't just get past this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes this is a process and today you may feel great. But tomorrow might not be so great and so wonderful, but here are some tools that you can use to get through it. So I would say it took me four therapists before mm-hmm. I found yeah, somebody good. that yeah. I connected with. Good for you. And, and Keep could going. Get yes. In that process of trying to find someone who worked for me and what drew me to her was a friend of mine who was seeing her at the time who was telling me about one of their sessions and apparently asked the question Mm -hmm. and the friend tried to laugh it off and not deal with the subject matter. Mm -hmm. And she called her out on it. Mm -hmm. I loved that. I thought, Mm -hmm. that's who I need to be seeing. Mm -hmm. I need to see somebody who's not going to let me escape Mm -hmm. and and try to hide. Mm -hmm. Um, and and I, I just found that there was a, a gentle ebb and flow with it. She made me deal with stuff, but at the same time, when we needed to pump the brakes, we could pump the brakes. Mm-hmm. And so I, I found my fit. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love that. What did your, your spirituality and your relationship with God do during your healing process? How did it ebb and flow throughout the last two or three years? Well, it was great. There were moments where I found myself questioning a lot of still the how, the whys, but also I found myself many times asking God to forgive me. Mm. And I was asking him to forgive me because I believe that our children are given to us. Mm. They don't belong to us. Mm. We are caretakers. Mm -hmm. We're stewards over them. Mm -hmm. Um... There were times where I felt like maybe I missed something. Mm-hmm. And the possibility is there. But then there were also moments where I could look back over my time parenting her where there were things where I misstepped. And there were mistakes that I made in that process. And we're not perfect people. Mm-hmm. But you really begin to reflect when you've lost someone Mm -hmm. and especially a parent losing a child you begin to reflect on you know whether or not you were a good parent Mm -hmm. and so there were moments where I just felt like there were times that I could have parented her in a different way in a better way and so I just found myself asking for forgiveness there but then there were other times where I was I found myself asking God to strengthen me Mm -hmm. because I found myself in a very low place mm-hmm. plenty of times and not wanting to be consumed by depression, mm-hmm. not wanting to be consumed by anxiety. And so I just found myself praying, um, speaking the word over my life because I just believe what the word of God says about us. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's that's where I drew a lot of strength as well um, in the word and spending mm-hmm. time in prayer. Mm-hmm. I, re, I will never forget there was one day I was sitting alone in my home. It was very shortly after her passing. And I was devastated. And mm-hmm. I just remember sitting, the television was on, but I wasn't necessarily watching it. And I remember thinking... Inwardly, God, this really hurts. Mm. And just saying that to him, but not audibly. 
Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, audibly, I said, but I still trust you. Wow. And that was a beautiful day because I was thinking about my daughter. And then the very next day after letting the Lord know that though this is painful, I still trust you. The very next day, my third daughter, uh, her, her name is Erin, and she came into my room just, I think, to check on me to see mm-hmm. how mom was doing. Mm-hmm. She looks a lot like my daughter that passed away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she came into my room. The day prior, there were two specific things that I was missing about my daughter Jocelyn who passed. There was this little goofy way she would wave to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was missing that. There was also something that she would do. She would spend a lot of time with me at the salon. Mm-hmm. And prior to her death, she was at the salon with me. And her grandmother was being prepared to be shampooed. As she reclined back into the bowl, she closed her eyes and she was just waiting, you know, for the process to begin. And while she was just lying there, patiently waiting for me to get started, my daughter just took her finger and swiped the bridge of her nose. Mm -hmm. And she kind of got startled. She woke up and they kind of laughed and giggled with one another. And I was just remembering that tender moment and thinking, you know, I would miss things like that about her. The very next day, after letting the Lord know that though I was in this pain, I still trusted him, Erin walks into my room, and she looks at me, and she swings her—no, she—well, yeah, she swings her arms open, and she puckers like she's getting ready to to kiss me. Mm -hmm. So I turn my cheek so that she can come and kiss my cheek. While my eyes are closed because I'm waiting for her kiss, I feel her finger swipe the bridge Mm -hmm. of my nose. And I looked up immediately startled. And as soon as I looked at her, she stuck her hand under her chin and she waved at me with that goofy grin Ugh. that her do- that her sister I would do. Chills. I did too. <laughs> and I grabbed her immediately and told her I loved her. And in that moment, I just felt like God had given me a connection. Yes. Through my living daughter Mm -hmm. with my deceased daughter. Mm -hmm. And so it was things like that that helped me get through because I realized she's still with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That though this was a physical passing, spiritually, she's still with me. Yeah. And that will never change. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just began to look at, you know, though this physical life ended. Mm -hmm. It didn't necessarily mean that our journey was over. Wow. I mean, one thing that uh, I was thinking of in just hearing your story, you know, you talk about the first day, you talk about the process of kind of going through grief. And um, that first day you were preparing to receive people at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with grief being a process, unfortunately, life doesn't stop. No. And I think a lot of us, especially as therapists, want mm-hmm. people ask us, you know, how do I support what I do in these moments? Mm-hmm. And I want to know for you, when people were around you at the different stages, what was helpful, what wasn't so helpful as people try to support you guys through this? Yeah, that's a great question. And thank you for asking me that question. Um, I want to start with what was helpful. Okay. What was helpful was people who came purely to love on us, Mm -hmm. purely to offer us their support. A lot of people 
we we had a group of ladies who set up a meal train for our mm-hmm. family because there were tons of people in and out. So there were people who set up a meal train. There are ladies in our church who are avid couponers, and I mean, <laughs> avid couponers. Mm-hmm. they made sure that we wanted for nothing. So I mean simple things that you wouldn't necessarily think of, like mm-hmm. toilet tissue, mm-hmm. clinics, mm-hmm. paper towels, mm-hmm. those types of things. Yeah. They made sure we had paper plates, paper cups, those type paper products. Mm-hmm. They made sure we had that along with food. They, I mean, they, they stocked us dearly, but it was things like that. So the meal train was good because the ladies who set up our meal train they put parameters and boundaries on those who would sign up and bring food to us. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that they uh, put in there was, of course, if there were any dislikes that the family had or any allergies or anything like that. But they took it a step further to say they're only receiving meals at lunchtime or dinner. Okay. And if you're going to drop it off, drop it off and keep going. Don't ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And we appreciated that. Yeah. Now, there were people that we did invite to come in, and we did spend a few minutes. But if in that moment we weren't Receiving feeling the best, mm-hmm. they were coming to drop it off, and they, mm-hmm. they kept going. They would say, hey, we okay. love you guys. Are you guys okay? Can I get anything else for you? Mm-hmm. And then they were out the door. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a very quick exchange. That was very helpful. Um, there were people who financially supported us, and wow. that was helpful because we— most people don't think that you'll lose a child. So we had insurance policies in place for us. Right. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have anything in place right. for our kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that became a financial burden that our community took on as their own. Wow. And it was a beautiful, I mean, it, that was beautiful and extremely helpful. People, uh, we had certain family members that came in that took our kids shopping for what they would have to wear to their sister's homegoing celebration. There were people who decided, hey, what do you need? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go do that for you. So they took on different tasks that needed to get handled so that we wouldn't have to worry about it. So those types of things were handled. Um, The printing of the obituary, Mm -hmm. um, the editing of it, I had one girlfriend, she sat down with me, she asked me questions, but then she put something beautiful together. She had me read over it to make sure I was okay with it. And so those kinds of things we didn't have to do. And little things like that, anything that you can take off of a family's plate, it's very, very helpful. Um, And then there were those who just came and sat with us. I had one girlfriend who she would just, even after all of the madness died down, Mm -hmm. she would just come and sit with me. She would just come and sit. And if I wanted to talk, I could talk. But if we just wanted to sit, she just would sit. And whatever I needed, Mm -hmm. that's what she would be there for that day. Mm -hmm. And it it was such a beautiful... I think about her often because we weren't even that close. We knew each other through church, Mm -hmm. but we became good friends because I I needed that. And, And so... And she was just there. And so, and she would tell me, if, if you just want to sit, we can just sit here mm-hmm. and just be quiet. I'll yeah. listen if you feel like talking. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a talker. I'm a chatterbox. So there were, mm-hmm. we, we ended up talking most of the time. Mm-hmm. Then there were other times she would just invite me out to go to paint nights. That's so we mm-hmm. those little paint parties that you mm-hmm. can go to. Mm-hmm. We went and did that a few times. So we would go have dinner sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just 
She just wanted me to know that she was there. Yeah. That was helpful. What's not helpful, and I know people mean well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't always come across the way you might mean it. So mm-hmm. some people would say things that were just insensitive. Yeah. And so I think I would say to people, I could go through a plethora of things that are just insensitive to say. Rather than do that, I would say to those who are listening, the best thing to do is just to ask the person, how are you in this moment? Yeah. And if they're fine, let them be fine. I had people tell me, you can't be. There were times that literally... I felt at peace. Mm-hmm. And I mean, right away. And and I know it probably seems strange to those who were looking in, but literally right away, God gave me peace. Mm-hmm. And I needed that peace. Mm-hmm. You know, and some might call that, well, you know, you were just probably in denial. <laughs> and maybe, maybe. But in the moment, I had peace. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me keep this. And so there were people mm-hmm. that would ask me, how are you doing? I'm like, you know... I'm doing fine. I remember saying to one young lady, I I really am doing well. I know that she's gone, but I'm happy for her. Mm -hmm. She's not dealing with the stress and pressure of the world. I felt very um, strongly that she was with God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Bible tells us that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Yeah. And to be absent from your body is to be present with him. And so that's that's what I believed, and mm-hmm. that's what I still believe. And so knowing that he is just full of light and love and to know that that's what she was in the presence of, mm-hmm. I was happy with that. Mm-hmm. You know, my fleshly side would want my baby back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I couldn't have her here to know that she was safe and loved more than I could ever love her as much as I love her, mm-hmm. I was happy about that. And so I, I did have some people say, you can't be okay. Mm-hmm. That just can't. And so I would say, let them be in whatever state they're in at the moment you ask. And just let that be that. Mm-hmm. And if it's, I'm doing fine, great. Well, good. Is there anything I can do for you? What do you need from me? And if they say nothing, leave it alone. Yeah. And if there's something in your heart to do, just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have to bombard the person with a lot of questions yeah. and waiting for them to tell you what to do. If it's in your heart to take them flowers, take them flowers. If it's in your heart to form a prayer circle for them, form the prayer circle for them. Yeah. If it's in your heart to take them a meal, take them a meal. But just try not to add pressure to it's already a stressful situation. Yeah, yeah. I think as clinicians, we know that the grief process can definitely impact relationships. And so I'm wondering what the impact was on you and your husband's relationship. Well, I was frustrated. (laughs) I, I, I was frustrated because I wanted us to do this my way. Yeah. And I had to learn everybody has their own way of grieving. Mm -hmm. And my way wasn't his way. And his way wasn't my way. I had to back off and give him space to deal with it in a way that was comfortable for him. Um, He was always very supportive of me, though. If if he saw that I was struggling, Mm -hmm. he was there to listen um, I think I was frustrated, though, because I, I didn't often feel like he shared 
how he was feeling or what he was going through Mm -hmm. with me. But my husband's not a talker Mm -hmm. in that way. And so um, he became very busy. He worked Mm -hmm. a lot. And he started going to the gym a lot. And I think that was his way of of dealing with it and working through it. And I had to allow that to be his way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and that's what I was alluding to earlier too. Even with our children, you got five people dealing with the same experience, Mm -hmm. but all five of them are dealing with it in a different way. And you just have to, you have to go with the flow. Yeah, you have to let everybody be where they are, who they are, and, and and come to terms with it the way they come to terms with it. Yeah. Did you guys ever come back as a family and talk about it as a family? or Only a few times. Um, very quickly, initially, so she died on a Friday. Mm-hmm. That Sunday, we pulled all the kids together. We had been in the house. What seemed like weeks, it really did, but it was only a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we were tired of being in the house. Mm-hmm. And so that Sunday after she passed away, we'd have got up. Going to church would have been our normal thing anyway. Mm-hmm. So we decided we're going to church today. Mm-hmm. And we pulled all the children together and we just told them this has happened, mm-hmm. but we're not going to allow this to alter. Mm-hmm. You know our, our our lives, what we do, mm-hmm. um, and we're not going to allow this to define the way your sister died. Mm-hmm. We're not going to allow it to define the way she lived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we began to talk about different things about her. Honestly, we said, okay, today we're going to talk about what annoyed us about her. <laughs> and we got the best laugh out of it. We really did. So that morning we're, we're, we're talking about things that she would do that would annoy us, that in that moment we found incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. And it just made the moment lighter. And so we had that moment. There was another moment where we all came together. I think this was the first Christmas without mm-hmm. her. And uh, my husband had us all, we were at the tree, we were gathered around one another, and I remember he had one of the waste baskets, um, it was a metal waste basket, and he gave everybody a slip of paper. And I can't remember, he had us write down, oh, I want to remember this exactly right. I think it was, he had us write down what this did to us like like a negative thing that this mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. her passing made us feel mm-hmm. i think that's right mm-hmm. that's right and um we all wrote down what that negative thing was for us mm-hmm. we shared it with one another and then we burned them oh wow and then we prayed as a family we thanked god for having placed her in our lives mm-hmm. and we decided we're going to enjoy Christmas. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, that was wow. And so there were different things like that at different times that okay. we've, you know, and so that's, you know. Wow. I mean, one thing you said is that grief is definitely a process and mm-hmm. it looks different for other folks. Can you help really us and listeners understand what that process looks like? Because we talked about the initial grief, mm-hmm. but now we're two to three years later. And mm-hmm. I feel like from the outside, people think like, oh, it's been two to three years. Everything should be back to normal. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to hear what that's been like for you guys. Yes, that's a great question. Yes. People look from the outside and they think, oh, they're over it. Mm-hmm. 
or they think they should be over it. Mm. And the reality is you're never over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me personally, I, I noticed after the initial wave that first year, I started to notice a pattern around the 19th of every month I would get extremely sad. Mm-hmm. She died on the 19th of the month. And once I realized that, yeah. I was able to begin to kind of arm myself right. and get right. ready mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that we're almost four years out, um, I kind of like to take charge. So, like, holidays are coming. I know it's going to be tough. I know that. So I try to begin preparing myself for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always work. There's still sadness that will creep in. Um, this is a hard time of the year for me because her birthday is next week. It's next Friday, the 26th. Oh, okay. Mother's Day is coming up. Mm-hmm. I still have a recording from the last Mother's Day that I spent with her. We were out shopping, and while I was in the dressing room trying on clothes, my my youngest daughter... She jacked my phone, and she was taking pictures and videos. Mm-hmm. And so while she was taking these pictures and videos, she got a video recording of herself and her siblings telling me Happy Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. So I still have that recording from my daughter. And so Mother's Day becomes a little difficult because even though I still have my other three children, mm-hmm. it's a day where I know one of my, one of my babies isn't with me. Mm-hmm. And then we go into June. And so this is kind of like the last... You know, and so this stretch of the year for me can sometimes be a little difficult. But then there are other times where just out of the blue, a smell Hmm. or a song or somebody may say something that catches me and I have to pull it together. Hmm. And so it's just it's just an ongoing thing. What are some of the ways that you have honored her during your grief process um, that may be beneficial for some of our listeners? Well, one of the things that I did initially was I began journaling. And in my journaling process, I would write to her. Mm-hmm. So in my journal, I would really write, Dear Jocelyn. Mm-hmm. And I would begin to just talk about what was going on with me that day. Um, other times, I would write to God. Mm-hmm. And, and I would purposely each time honor something about her. So, for instance, if today was a journal entry, whether I was addressing it to her or whether I was addressing it to the Lord, I would somewhere in there say, you know, today I intentionally honor her smile mm-hmm. or her sense of fashion. My daughter was an artist. She was um, both... Um, visually artistic mm-hmm. and then performing arts while she was she was a bad girl wow. uh, and so I would honor that some days and I would just write about that and, and what I loved about her mm. the different things that impressed me about her I would just take some of those things and, and write it down her birthday comes around and so every year on her birthday I will take fresh flowers I'll take the silk flowers out of you know off of her grave Mm -hmm. um, marker and I'll put down fresh flowers so that's another way that I honor her Um, and so every year for her birthday that we try to come up with something so um, one year 
her 18th birthday, I knew that she was going to get a tattoo. <laughs> so I told myself I was going to get a tattoo <laughs> because she couldn't be here to get it herself. Yeah. I chickened out, but <laughs> her cousin still went and got one, and uh, my sister went and, and did that. So there are different things oh, wow. that we will try to do to honor her memory at different times of the year um, because she, you know, obviously can't be here with us. Yeah. Within um, the black community, we often don't talk about when it, this topic is also taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be a black Christian family, what has some of the conversations been about as you all have journeyed and had to have these conversations within your own, not just immediate family, but your whole entire family mm-hmm. on your and your husband's side? I don't know that we've really talked about it. Well, yeah, no, I don't know that we've really still delved into that my husband and I because we find ourselves as pastors now Mm -hmm. and because of what we went through and because of what we're seeing and some people may not define it as an epidemic but I feel like it's growing to that place Mm -hmm. we have purpose within ourselves to try to bring mental health awareness Mm -hmm. to people so one of the things that we're doing later this year um well, actually, in a few months, we're partnering with um, MHA, Mental Health America, mm-hmm. and they're going to come in and they're going to do a suicide prevention training. Oh, and that will great. be given to people, our, our leaders in our church, so that we can keep our eyes open and try to be aware of what's going on with people. In my family, I, and I'm, as I'm thinking about your question, we have dealt with this before. Mm-hmm. So when I was young, and I can't remember how old I was, somewhere between 7 and 10 years old, my father's sister suffered tragedy in her family. Mm-hmm. Her estranged husband killed himself. Oh, mm-hmm. And that was the first time I ever learned about suicide. Mm-hmm. Even then, it was extremely taboo. Mm-hmm. As I got older, in high school, I had some friends die um, by completed suicide. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was still like what they did what mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. we don't do that right 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 and right. that was the conversation we don't do that mm-hmm. what was going on with them that like what was up with that mm-hmm. and but we've now in this day and age we've just grown to a place where anxiety depression um i have a brother who suffers from bipolar depression mm-hmm. and um we we've just had some some issues there so but we still don't really talk about it yeah not as a you know mm. we we haven't really sat down as a family to say hey listen yeah and and so no i we don't i mean with a lot of black folks specifically not having those conversations. You'll hear people, you'll hear people say, you know, I can just talk to my pastor about it mm-hmm. or yeah. I can just do things in the church. And especially with you guys actually pastoring people, mm-hmm. can you help us understand some of the limits of that and when people should step outside of the church community and go to more designated professionals? Well, my personal experience <laughs> says <laughs> anybody who is dealing with suicidal ideation. And I think we all at some point, I know I have, I, well, I was 16 and, yeah. and, you know, my mama had just gotten on me about something and I was thinking, I don't want to live no more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we all have those kind of fleeting moments. Right. Mm-hmm. But when it becomes a permanent fixture in your mind mm-hmm. and you've actually begun to 
make some plans. Mm-hmm. It's time to go talk to somebody. Yeah. Um, I know sometimes people feel like you can pray certain things away, and I'm not separating. For me, there's no separation between the spiritual and the emotional and the physical. Mm-hmm. I think they all kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And so, though, yes, you need to speak life over yourself and pray. Mm-hmm. You still may need to go see someone and and just try to work through some of the things that are piling on. Mm-hmm. And so if I would say if a person's just feeling overwhelmed with life in general and you just don't have any vision for yourself of mm-hmm. how you're going to deal with this, it, it's time to go see somebody. Mm. Beautifully put. Very well put. I so admire your strength and your courage, your ability to come here tonight and really share your story with us, with our listeners. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if you have any like final thoughts that you want to share with our listeners, maybe parents out there that are experiencing this uh, similar situation, anyone out there that's grieving. um, Do you have any final thoughts or anything you want to say to them? Well, my heart is with them. I I, I understand um, more than most would. Yeah. But also understanding that every process, everybody's experience is different. I may not know exactly where they are, but I have a good idea. And I would just offer my love to them to let them know you're not alone, mm-hmm. you're not by yourself. I would encourage them if they haven't spoken to somebody to reach out to someone and have a conversation. I know sometimes people don't feel like they can afford to go see a therapist, mm-hmm. um, but there are a lot of resources in different communities where you can get the help that you need, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be a financial burden. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if it is only to be able to open up to a, a good friend, a trusted relative, mm-hmm. at least begin that conversation. Mm. Don't suffer in silence. Yeah. I think that's the mistake a lot of people make. They think they can they can handle it. They think they can push it aside. But I would encourage anyone who's grieving to, to not run from it mm-hmm. because then... You're, you're going to cope one way or the other, mm-hmm. right? right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. either you're going to pick up pills, alcohol, whatever, to help you get through this, mm-hmm. or you're going to find some healthy ways to deal with it. Yeah. And so I would encourage people to, to deal with it in a healthy way mm-hmm. um, because the other ways can can lead to all kinds of negative things that you just don't want to have to face, and it just compounds the problem. Yes. Well, um, in bringing you here, I know you have a wonderful event that's also coming up on May the 4th, a wonderful healing process for those who stay in and also near the Charlotte area. Can you talk to us about that? Yes, and thank you for allowing me to share that today. Mm -hmm. Um, So a couple of years ago, after I lost my daughter, I just started coming in contact with a lot of women who were losing their children. It was almost like... A magnet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I had to stop and ask, okay, God, why do I keep coming across women who've lost their children? Mm -hmm. And um, 
there's a scripture in, I believe it's in Corinthians. And now I wish I would have written it down before I came. <laughs> but it talks about us sharing the same compassion that we were given. Mm. And so there on, on May 4th, um, it's for Mother's Day. It's called Hope and Healing Mother's Day Tea. Mm-hmm. We're going to host it at our church. Um, our women's ministry will be uh, hosting this event for women who've lost children, whether oh, they had miscarriages, mm-hmm. whether it was a living child that died, even if someone, for whatever reason, felt like at the time this was a crisis pregnancy and they felt like they needed to abort their baby. Wow. I There's love still it. trauma there. Yes. And we we want to be that healing bomb. Oh, so it's women who understand each other coming together to share our story and to lift one another up. We have two incredible moms who will be there that day to share their story mm-hmm. of hope and healing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the young ladies lost her son when he was three in a tragic mm-hmm. car accident. The other young lady lost her daughter, who we're all from, most of us who are in the Charlotte area are familiar with her story. Mm-hmm. Sandra Adams will be coming to speak with us about losing her daughter, Sharika Adams, and what that healing process was like for her wow. and how she got past her daughter being murdered and mm-hmm. almost losing her grandson. And then we have um, a life coach who will come in to help give us some coping skills mm-hmm. to be able to um, to move forward mm-hmm. for women who are dealing with this, mm-hmm. who it might be new for. There might be some ladies in our area. So we invite them to come out. Again, it's on May 4th. It's on a Saturday. Uh, we will start at 11. Okay. The The program will begin at 11. The tea will start at noon. High mm-hmm. noon. High noon. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a free event. Women don't have to worry about the cost at all. However, oh, I love it. we are accepting donations. Yes. We do love um, community support. And we're accepting donations to do two things. We want to cover the cost of the event. Mm-hmm. And we want to be able to give a donation to Kindermore this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. They are our chosen um, recipients of the donation this year um, because of what they do for families. Mm-hmm. I did not mention earlier, but families don't have to worry about the cost with Kinder Morn. Mm-hmm. They have a sliding scale um, that, you know, based on where you are and what you're dealing with, they already know you're dealing with something very hard. And so mm-hmm. they don't want the financial piece to be burdensome or to cause people not to be able to come. Mm-hmm. So they do operate on a lot of donations from those in the community. So we want to be a blessing to them. So Love if it. your listeners would kindly go to <laughs> worldworshipchurch.org. <laughs> you can also sign Again, up for the Again, that's worldworshipchurch.org. Yes. <laughs> if they click on the giving tab, it will route them to where they can give for the Hope and Healing Mother's Day Tea. Mm-hmm. They can also go to Eventbrite. Okay. Um, to sign up for the event, even though you don't have to pay for the event, we want you to sign up because it gives us an idea of how many people we're going to be serving that day. And we, we don't want to run out of refreshments for everybody. So yeah. we want to make sure we're prepared to receive and serve the community. And also on that page, you can do a donation too as well. So oh, beautiful. 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 
So, Pastor Kendra. Yes. Thank you so much for coming out and talking to us and sharing your story. Um, Again, meeting you about three years ago um, and sharing your story then and it will be a blessing. Um, So to our listeners, um, if you have any follow-up questions for us to list those questions or inboxes, we will also post resources for, um, of course, the um, 1-800-NATIONAL-SUICIDE hotline number. We will also post resources for here in Charlotte, North Carolina. But once again, um, if you are in need, there are local resources that you can reach out to for you and your family. So as we close out our podcast for tonight, we want to make sure we leave our listeners with the message that Pastor Kendra is going to be using for her her high tea, which is that there's hope and healing for all. Um, whatever that hope and healing looks like for you, feel free to reach out to your family, to your pastors, to your counselors, and knowing when to go to who is once again based off where you are in your season of healing. And we thank you all for joining us on tonight. As we close out this episode... We want to thank you for your dedication. Here's a gift from us to you. This week's moment of reflection. And this is Pastor Kendra just coming to you with a little inspiration. Tonight we were talking about um, a mother's journey after suicide, and I wanted to read something that I wrote for you guys real briefly. It's called Riding the Wave. Grief is like the ocean. It comes on waves, ebbing and flowing. Sometimes the water is calm and sometimes it is overwhelming all we can do is learn to swim that's a quote by vicki harrison i wrote this in january after dealing with the grief of a loved one ask anyone their preference beach or mountains and you'll get an instant response most people know right away the answer to that question and some are more than happy to share which is their favorite I'm a beach girl. I've always loved and hated the relationship that I have with the water, but I've always loved the beach. When I was a young girl, my father would take us, my sister, my brother, and I on vacations with him and his girlfriend. We loved those summer vacations. It was it always gave us something new to look forward to, and we did these visits to the destination from time to time to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. One summer when we were there, my father would take us out to learn how to ride the waves. And I remember one summer when we were riding those waves, he took my brother and I out and we seemed to be far from the shoreline. And he made us face the wave as it was coming in to ride the top of it. And I remember being knocked down by this big wave that came. And one of the things that scared me about the wave was I lost control. Mm -hmm. I was knocked under the water. I had to flounder my way back up to get breath. And at the time, I couldn't touch the bottom. So I remember leaving the safety of my father, who was right there. I could reach out and touch him to get to safety. And one of the things that it made me remember was that grief can be very much the same way. Sometimes you it's almost like you're at the water's edge. You get a little ripple. And you can deal with that little ripple. But sometimes it feels like you're out further then you can stand and a big wave can come and knock you over and it feels like it's overwhelming and like it will drown you but what I didn't realize when I was young is that my daddy is right there he's he has me if I just reach out for him but I pushed him away and I tried to handle it on my own I want to say to all of you who are listening don't push your father away and I'm speaking about your heavenly father 
He's there for you. He loves you. And he knows what you're dealing with more than anybody else in this world. Reach out to him wherever you are right now listening to this. And just say, Lord, help me. And he'll be there for you.